are listening to another episode of How to Rock Virtual Engagements, brought to you by Jabba.io. I'm your host, Alistair Davis. So why am I doing a podcast on virtual engagements? Well, effective virtual engagements can increase your quality of life and significantly improve your income. This has happened to me, and I want to share all these virtual tips and tricks from experts around the world with you. Hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of How to Rock Virtual Engagements. I'm your host, Alistair Davis. Today we have Ryan Rogar on the show. He is the founder at Teammate Apart. He's an entrepreneur, creative director, podcaster, and more importantly, a remote work advocate. He's committed to building authentic end-to-end relationships for his clients. And his unique philosophy puts specific importance on human relationships and their inherent value in both business and in life. Welcome, Ryan. Hey, thanks so much, Alistair. Glad to be here. (laughs) Cool, man. So who is your favorite Danish pop star singer? Yeah, so there's a singer, as I understand it, in, uh, in Denmark, it's pronounced M, which is not very exciting, but here we call her Mo. And yeah, she's just a, you know, Danish pop singer. I discovered her in like 2013, something like that. And I've just been a diehard fan ever since. But it's kind of funny because uh, I just turned 40 and my favorite singer is a uh, Danish pop star. So it's kind of, a, kind of a funny one to tell people. Oh, that's cool. That's international global, global village we live in now. Yeah, right. Have you been to Denmark? I've not. So that's the, the grand fantasy. And actually, it was on a very short list for happening this year prior to COVID and everything. I had grand aspirations of going and catching one of her shows over there. Instead, when she comes to the States, I traverse the, the country and, and watch her perform here in, in the States. But I've not yet caught her at home. So uh, that's the, uh, the grand fantasy. Okay. Denmark's cool. I've, uh, one of my best friends is Danish and I've been to Copenhagen many times. I've also been to Roskilde, the, the sort of Coachella of Denmark, which is very cool. Yeah, no, I'd love to check it out. So the closest I've, I've made it over there is uh, Amsterdam, which is where my family is from. And so that's as near as I've gotten, but you know, you can maybe throw a rock if you're really motivated. <laughs> cool. So you're a remote working guru, the founder of Teammate Apart. What got you into this whole remote working vibe, philosophy? Sure. Well, yeah, so I'll try and, try and keep it short because it's a very layered story. But long story short is, uh, or long story short-ish, is uh, basically I've been working as a, an art director, creative director for more than 25 years at this point. I have worked from everywhere from the back of a tour bus when I was a young man touring around the country with musical groups to, you know, even now presently we're working remotely and have been doing, you know, something like that more or less my entire career. I've had a couple stints along the way where I worked in office, but, you know, anytime I've been working for myself, I've been working remotely. And so for me, I come at it from a little bit different angle than a lot of the other remote work advocates I, I know who come you know, more from the perspective of they've been an employee for a large distributed company, for example, and you know, are, are just an employee, they get a regular check. I come from the other end where we're contractors, freelancers, and we've done work for everyone you know, all the way up to the Fortune 50 and countries that are, are you know, international and global companies. But at the end of the day, we're still just contractors and things. So there's some unique things or some nuanced differences between the freelancers and the sort of, I guess, traditional remote worker. But there is a ton of sort of interconnectedness between the, the life of the freelancer and the life of the remote worker. Yeah. And so what does Teammate Apart do? 
Yeah, so Teammate Apart was born as an idea that was basically structured as a way to help remote workers and those who hire them work better together by crafting more meaningful human relationships. We uh, have a, a thought or a, an ethic that sort of puts a high value on the importance of interpersonal and intrapersonal relationships and sort of puts that above technology and things like that as we, you know, as it pertains to remote work. So there's no shortage of, you know, SaaS companies and software organizers and things like this who are putting together companies in and around the technology that allow us to, you know, actually be able to work remotely. But so much of what we focus our energy on is just sort of the, the relationships between those people and how, you know, no matter how good the technology is, the, the people stuff is really where it's at. Hmm. And have you got any sort of secret sauce, any things that you guys do specifically that helps that process, enhances it? Because I understand from other interviews that I've done, I interviewed Ellie Green or, yeah, Ellie Green, I think you know her. Yeah. And she was also saying that, uh, you know, the work aspect of remote working, the actual working and communication and around work can be handled by the technology platform. So if you're doing MS Teams, Asana, Monday.com, or whatever you, you're using, you use that to do the work, but then you use, say, Zoom or the video conferencing software to build relationships and enhance your connectedness with your team members, your boss, or whatever the case might be. You want to expand yeah, no. on that? Yeah, of course. No, I, I mean, I think that's true, right? I mean, obviously, technology has facilitated a lot of this. And all the way back to my early days in the back of the tour bus, I was tethering to the internet on my BlackBerry Pearl. I was, you, you know, using miniature versions of every piece of office hardware, you know, printers and scanners and things like this. You know, I mean, technology is what facilitated that ability to actually be able to communicate at distance from wherever I was. So, I mean, I don't, I don't want to give technology too short of shrift. But I think one of the things that's happened sort of in recent times is, you know, especially with the novelty of, of smartphones and things like that, you know, a lot of us spend a lot of time on the telephone or a lot of time on apps or computers, things like that. And I think what we're actually starting to see or witness in society is a little bit of a pushback from this sort of what I call technological saturation. So you're seeing people sort of naturally pushing away from this stuff, this really high tech tapping on our phone all day kind of stuff. And we're moving into things that are a little bit more tactile, a little more meaningful. So for example, you're seeing a rise in craft food, craft beer, beard oil, you know, all these weird vintage things, you know, like you're going to barbers now, you know, these classic barbers instead of going to supercuts or whatever. And, you know, you're seeing a lot of people who are looking for something that feels like a more tangible experience. And so I, what that indicates to me is that basically we have stepped, become so infatuated or so overtaken by our technology that now we're moving back from it and basically seeking relationships and not necessarily just relationships with people, but relationships with things, right? The, the tools we use or the hardware we're using or that, you know, whatever it might be, we're having relationships with all these different things and our, our hands and our, our brains and our minds and everything. We just want to touch real things again. Mm. And so, uh, so I think that the, you asked earlier about sort of our secret sauce or our methodology and a big part of it has to do with just sort of, you know, like I say, this extreme focus on, on the relationships and sort of different components of relationships. So we, you know, for example, we'll teach people communications, but we do it through the lens of how are you improving relationships via communications mm. or, you know, how, how, you know, maybe you could become a more efficient remote worker through a routine or something, but how does you having a routine make you more capable of having a good relationship with somebody on the other end? 
we sort of frame it, you know, how you use this metaphor all the time, this idea of feeling, filling a glass of water for sa- uh, the purpose of satiation, right? Yeah. And so I sort of look at text messages, emails, things like that. You know, these are all drops in that, that bucket, right? And you can survive for a while, you know? I mean, you're texting with your friends or you're sending emails back and forth to people at work, you know, and you're hanging in there, you know, maybe you're not fully satiated, but you're getting a drink of water, you're going to survive. Then all the way up to like a Zoom conference, for example, you know, at least in my world might be, let's say 90% of a glass of water, right? So of course, I can't be sitting in South Africa right now having a cup of coffee with you, unfortunately, but I would always put that cup of coffee as a full glass of water. That would always be a 10 out of 10 for me, where having this video call while lovely is, you know, not going to check that box as well for me as sitting across the table from you. So it's sort of uh, the, the way that we look at it. So even when we're, of course, right now, because of sort of global pandemic and everything else, we're maybe more isolated than normal, you know, even the biggest distributed teams generally speaking, have these little quarterly get-togethers, annual get-togethers, whatever. You know, a lot of these companies are still infusing a little bit of that real-life human time. And Mm. I just, I think it's critical, and I don't think we can get entirely away from it. So back to this idea of filling a glass of water, if I can survive on 90% of a glass of water by having video calls with my coworkers and developing relationships and doing the best we can over video call, that day that I finally get to fill my cup all the way, when you and I are sitting in a, in a pub somewhere and having and uh, tossing back a beer, that relationship that we've crafted over Zoom or whatever will sort of have laid the foundational groundwork for us. But when we actually have that opportunity to meet in person, it'll be sort of the next level. It'll be the, you know, the next thing. Mm. And so, uh, so that's sort of how we look at relationships. And I think just you know, all, all the work we're doing is sort of in the frame of trying to achieve this level of relationship, but, you know, and it starts sort of with the relationship with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting perspective. I've long felt just to bring it back a little bit to the way I feel and my philosophy, you know, I obviously talk about the voice and communication. I was on your podcast and we spoke extensively on the voice. And for me, that is a real connector because that's the carrier of emotion. It's a real conduit of emotion. And you don't get that from texting, from WhatsApping, from instant messaging, no matter how many emojis you throw in there, it's just not the same. And so for me at a greater level, I just want to make sure that people from my side, I don't want, I don't want people to lose the art of good speaking of connecting because mm-hmm. if you cannot connect, like you say, you know, you, do, you can have all these apps and widgets. And I mean, I don't know how many apps you've got on your phone, but I've got so many. And mm. you can get an app to remind you to, I don't know, brush your teeth. <laughs> yeah, the one I think is particularly condescending is the Apple Watch that reminds you to stand 12 times a day. So every now and then when you get the little, you get the little reminder, you get the woohoo, hey, you, you met your goal, you stood up 12 times today. 12 times. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I think that one's particularly condescending. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you may, you raise an interesting point. I think everything, there's like a pendulum swing, you know, we, we've almost gone too far now to rely on technology and the apps and the SARS applications that people are developing are phenomenal, but it, it's, it's starting to, as you say, come back the other way where people are saying, well, actually I want some real things. I want, I want boutique. I want attention. I want you know, to feel loved. Well, and that's the thing. It seems to me like a natural pushback. You know, this idea of the pendulum swinging is something that I've observed, you know, in a lot of different categories, but particularly as it pertains to, to technology and communication, you know, via smartphone, as an example. 
I mean, we, we've gotten to the point, I mean, at least for the, the first, I don't know, iPhone one through iPhone eight, let's say, I mean, mm -hmm. that thing was pretty damn novel. You know, it was pretty cool. It was a cool technology the, the number of things you can do from the palm of your hand now are incredible. The ease at with, uh, with which it's done is incredible. Like, I mean, you could never discount how critical thing that is in our life. But I think what happened is because it was the shiny new thing for so long, we chased it and we admired it and we're on it every living moment. I have two young boys and they, you know, I can barely get them off the thing. And it's designed that way. But I think it feels good to text and, you know, it's sort of satisfying if you can find a little game that'll allow you to move stuff through mud or whatever, you know. You can yeah. have a great experience on your phone. But I do think that it is critical, this aspect. I mean, you know, if you go back to just sort of evolutionary things, I mean, as humans, we're tribal. I mean, we're meant to see people. You know, this iPhone and, you know, technologies like it are not even a, a blink of an eye in sort of the grand scheme of human evolution. Mm. And uh, in terms of the amount of time they've existed, right? So, I mean, it was sort of like, uh, I don't know, think of it as sort of like a, a white hot fire, right? Like, I mean, this thing started and it burned and it was incredible, but it burned out really quick. You know, even now among like SaaS companies and different technologies that you're seeing, I mean, there's a lot of refinement and people creating software platforms that are bigger and better, or maybe add features or things like that to other softwares that have been around for a while. But ultimately, we're not innovating a ton. You know, it's the next new project manager. It's the next new, you know, instant messaging tool, whatever it is. But ultimately, we, you're not seeing the same type of innovation that was pre-iPhone to iPhone. And so, yeah. uh, you know, you're just not seeing that kind of shift anymore. And so I think what happened is we had this shift where we moved into the new iPhone world, you know, iPhone being a, a symbol for all things sort of high tech like that. And it was such a dramatic shift that it was this white hot fire. And it was like, oh my God, everybody get this. This is the new cool thing. And we did. And now I think we're starting to, you know, it's losing its novelty. It's not this new fresh idea anymore. And, uh, and they've become very ubiquitous, at least in certain parts of the world. And so now I think in those parts of the world, especially, you're starting to see this, this pushback that I'm talking about, this idea of this technological saturation. In other places, for example, you know, other countries, I mean, I do a lot of work in and around Spain. They don't have anywhere near the adoption of iPhone that we do, for example. But if you look at their culture, generally, their culture is much more people-centric, much more focused on the relationships they have with friends and family. And they just don't give a crap about their phone, at least not to yeah. the extent that we seem to here in the States. And this is yeah. know, purely anecdotal. It's just my observation. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but that's, that's my take, right? And so I think that you know, while my message of, of technological saturation might fit a audience here in the States, for example, it may not be totally applicable everywhere, but I think it could be seen as sort of a warning of things to come. You know, I sort of look at Spain, at least technologically speaking, as being about 10 years in the rears. And so I think, you know, another 10 years, another 12 years or something, they could be somewhere near the saturation level we are and experiencing some of the problems that we are. Yeah. And tell me, talk to me about those problems. What is the technological saturation going to do? What is it doing to our relationships? Sure. Well, I mean, obviously, I mean, it's funny and you hear people say this kind of thing all the time, but it's this idea that, you know, no matter how small the world gets, the further apart we're becoming. And I think, you know, I, I'm the first to say, I mean, the reason I have a small team in Spain is because technology allows it. You know, the world, the world has made that possible. And, uh, and so I'm incredibly grateful for the things that people have done. But at the same time, instead of, you know, even facilitating a Zoom call, for example, instead of chatting with my coworkers over there every day, you know, we're largely on WhatsApp and going back and forth or whatever, but that's a pretty superficial relationship, right? Mm. I mean, I'm not having a deep 
relationship with a lot of those people over there, unfortunately. You know, now when I get over there and during sort of normal times, I, I get over there four or five times a year. And so I have much more opportunity to foster those relationships and spend time with each other and, you know, read body language and look into eyes and, and hear about their lives and their, their experiences and things. But because of sort of just the nature of the work I'm in and, and now with COVID, I mean, it's been some time since I've been over there and I'm really starting to feel the distance, right? Yeah. I'm starting to feel the closeness that I used to feel is starting to slip away a little bit. And so, and I think that that's one of these sort of side projects, right? Or side products, right? It's really easy for you to just flip a text to your buddy and move on, but you would have to actually chisel time out of your day to get on the phone and call them, you know? And for so many of us, I think that instant gratification culture, this idea that you can just do the things you need to do instantly without having to really put much thought into it has created a habit that has allowed us to sort of be okay with that. You know, we used to need to call somebody. We used to need to go meet somebody for coffee and all that stuff. And, you know, I, I think largely a lot of people still do. Maybe, you know, now things have reopened a little bit here in the States and, you know, the coffee shops are crowded. People are busy. They're going and seeing each other. So there was no doubt a period of time where this enhanced isolation was, uh, you know, is now being pushed back against. But from, you know, to sort of put it in the frame of the remote worker, for example, you know, when you spend all your day in Slack and email and stuff like that, there is a very real human bit of your life that's missing. Yeah. And whether your employer decides to step up and attempt to fill that role through virtual happy hours or whatever else they're doing these days, or, you know, just calls or small group meetings or whatever they're doing to try and keep up the social going, or whether you sort of take it on yourself and sort of balance out the responsibility of your social needs by going out and seeing people after work or, you know, whatever. I think that that's one of these bigger issues with, it, with this sort of advancement of technology is it just yeah. makes it really easy for us to put some distance between those and, you know, those we care about. I think, you know, what's just, what just occurred to me now speaking is it, it, we're always on. At the moment, I'm away from my family there in Italy. And so my son and my partner in Italy. And so I find myself working a lot. And I find myself looking at my phone a lot and my laptop a lot, and I'm always on. And so th there is a, not so much a separation from work from home. So we're working a lot. And yeah, it's, it's carving out that time for, so that, that's the first point, working a lot. And secondly, we've got so many touch points through WhatsApp and, and all these instant messaging platforms with our mates that we're sort of lightly touching them a lot, <laughs> if I could mm -hmm. use that analogy, but we're not really giving them a hug. You know, in the olden days, you'd have a telephone call, maybe you'd speak for 45 minutes to one of your friends. Now you're doing a voice note. Hey, Ryan, how's it going? Yeah, like, no, you know, what's yeah. going on? You know, it's not as deep. Well, yeah, that's the thing. You know, when the phone was tacked to the wall, it required a commitment, right? You had to go. And, you know, it might be the one time this week you could actually whittle out time to call somebody. And so you would sit down and you'd do it and it would be a long form conversation in lieu of that real life touch, right? I mean, it was as best as you could do. Yep. Now, I think back to, you know, to circle back to my sort of water metaphor, filling this cup of water, all these little text messages, all these little things, I mean, they're drops in the bucket, right? We're keeping relationships alive, mm. but are they kind of on life support, right? We're giving them just enough water to sort of stay alive, but they're not necessarily enough water to thrive. And yeah. so I think that that's sort of where the differentiator is. One of the things that you touched on was this idea that, that we're working a lot right now. And I think that that's really true. And again, this is one of these things fostered or sort of facilitated by great technologies, right? Great connectivity, great technology, great all these things, you know, has really allowed us this opportunity to sort of work anywhere, anytime from wherever. 
And so I think it's really critical, especially for remote workers or people who are working in isolation, you know, your freelancers, your contractors of the world, or even people who've just sort of been shifted to work from home now through COVID. I think it's critical that you focus on some, you know, put some energy behind setting clear boundaries. You know, it's, it's maybe more difficult, you know, when like, for, for example, like you mentioned, when family's out of town, for example, and you've got nothing else going on, so why not be on the phone all night? You know, who cares? Like, you've got stuff to do, and you might yeah. as well be working on it. So it's really easy to do that. But I think just in terms of our sort of overall health and overall well-being, it's really critical to stop and take time for yourself, right? I mean, I, I've been talking more about this recently, but it's this idea that you should be a little bit selfish. Mm. And as it pertains to relationships and relationships with ourselves, I sort of use the metaphor of, you know, when you're flying on an airplane and the oxygen mask drops, you're supposed to put it on yourself first before yeah. you put it on the person sitting next to you. Yeah. And I think our, our human nature is that we would generally put the mask on the person next to us, right? Let's save the person who's sleeping next to us, or let's save our child, that kind of thing, right? So most of us have this innate interest in helping other people and trying to do the best we can for other people. But the reality yeah. is that we're no good to that sleeping person or to that child if we're dead. Yeah. And so it's important that we put that mask on ourselves first so that we have the strength to go on. And so, and I use that metaphor to sort of speak about relationships and talk about this idea that relationship with self is a critical or fundamental building block to relationships with others. Yeah. And so in, or, in order for us to foster a great relationship with somebody else, we have to do the right thing by ourselves. And that goes back to this idea of setting boundaries and being clear about when we're working, when we're not taking time to go to the gym, taking time to get yeah. a nutritious meal, that sort of mm. stuff. And, mm. and it's hard because like you said, you know, I mean, we've got our computers right in our pocket, you know, so it's all buzzing at us all day. And especially if you live in a part of the country and, or, you know, part of the world, but you have friends from all parts, you know, people in different time zones and things, and you've got texts and things coming in at all times of the night. It's really easy to just, you know, while you're microwaving some, you know, pasta or something, you sit and fiddle around on your phone. Instead yeah. of cook, you know, stopping and chopping some vegetables and creating a nice meal. And so, uh, so I think it's really important to sort of work on those boundaries and, and sort of make time for yourself almost selfishly. But back to this idea of putting the mask on yourself first, you, you're no good to your team. If you're burned out, you're no good to your family. If you are exhausted all the time, but you're no good to yourself and to your own mental well-being If you're not taking care of yourself and giving yourself the things you need, the right fuel, the right exercise, the right, whatever. No, sure, sure. You, you've mentioned that you have a very rigid routine. Uh, we can talk about that. I want to I know about that because I think also for a remote worker and remote teams, uh, routine scheduling is important as we've just discussed because you need to, if it goes back to creating time for yourself and for connections, that's, that's important. But like for m myself, I've set this goal that I need to connect with a friend or a fa one friend or one family member per day. So it has to be, usually I try a call. So a long form call, whether it's on WhatsApp or telephone and just have a conversation instead of a voice note, because I hate voice notes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just, I don't know. It's, just, yeah, so no, it's really impersonal. I mean, it feels personal because you're talking, but it's very impersonal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So talk to me about your rigid uh, routine that you have, your rigid morning sure. routine. Yeah, so this is something I've been doing basically my whole career. And I mean, it's not that it's anything novel, right? But I just point to it as this example of, you know, again, boundary setting and sort of just having some ground rules. I've been self-employed for the large share of my career. And, and for me, it's always been really important to sort of get into the right headspace to, to go to work, right? So I get up every morning, 6.30, hit the shower, do my thing. By 7 o'clock, I'm dressed as if I'm going to work. I'm not wearing my pajamas. I'm not wearing whatever. 
I get dressed like I'm going into the office or going to work. And don't get me wrong, I'm a creative director, so it's business casual always. You know, it's a t-shirt yeah. or whatever. But I mean, I yeah. put on clean clothes, get dressed up. I even, I mean, my wife goes nuts because I, I wear my shoes all day. Like I have my shoes on in the house. But it's just for me, it's this idea of separation. I'm going to the office, right? Mm. So after I get dressed, I put a, you know, have a quick little breakfast. Just, I mean, it's the same breakfast every day. It's basically an egg on some fancy toast. Do that every day, you know, and, and I do sort of these four or five things every single day. And then uh, I chase that breakfast with, a, uh, with two Pomodoros of reading. So I, uh, basically a Pomodoro for people who don't know is basically a 25 minute block of focused yep. exercise or focused routine. Yeah. So uh, with a little break in between. So, but I, I always read through the breaks. So, so I end up with about an hour of reading time. I take about 25 minutes, another Pomodoro to practice my Spanish, which, you know, I've, I've been a little remiss on lately. And then I take the next four Pomodoros and focus on writing, email communications, all those sorts of things. Yeah. Puts me, you know, at about 11 o'clock, 11.30. And then that's sort of when I can start my day. So from then on, it's just work day. And I just sort of field the random things that come in. But by sort of having that routine, it's allowed me to sort of get into this headspace where I'm at work, I'm at the office. And even when I'm doing it from home, it helps. During COVID, you know, back to your idea of just, you know, working too much and things like that. You know, I, I you know, obviously I'm working from home now. I always have been joke or I've been joking since then that, you know, the biggest problem I've got now are my new coworkers, which is my wife and my kids because they're home doing school and all that stuff. And it's made for really interesting things. Both my wife and I had noticed because she's a, a high school teacher. And so she's been teaching remotely, or at least up to the end of last year was teaching remotely. And so the two of us, though, we were working these crazy hours. We were, our yep. routines were all over the place. Our boundaries were all over the place because she was trying to do the best she could. And I didn't have the clear end point of when my family came home from school or work. So for me, I used to be able to just kind of work and go nuts and do my thing. But at five o'clock or whenever the family rolled in, okay, well, now it's time for family. Let's stop. Let's go make dinner. Let's do that stuff. Yeah. But when they were always here and there was no clear delineation, you know, even I slipped into this, you know, lack of boundary setting or this lack of routine. And I found that we were overworked. And, I, and honestly, I'm still kind of recovering from it. Like, I, I still don't feel like I'm sleeping enough. I still don't feel like I'm doing, you know, enough yeah. self-care. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I've been really good about trying to get my exercise in and stuff like that every day. But sometimes I'm on the Peloton at 1130 at night trying to get a, a workout in. And it's just not ideal. I'm not getting the sleep I need or any of that stuff. So I think it is really important, you know, especially now, but always to focus on these little aspects of routine. And, mm. and you mentioned at the top, uh, Allie Green, who, yeah, I, she and I have done a number of things together. And um, Allie... I had given her sort of my rap on the importance of routine once, and she sort of pushed back. She comes from more of a uh, digital nomad background uh, where she sort of travels around and work, you know, works from different places all over the, yeah. or all over the world. And uh, so she has a little different take on it. And she was like, well, you know, I don't really like that kind of routine. I, I, you know, I like to, you know, maybe I'll sleep in a little or maybe I'll go to the coffee shop or maybe I'll do this and that. And I was like, well, no, the point of routine isn't that you do it the way I do it. The point of routine is that you have a structure. So even what she's describing to me, even though it's totally different, was still a routine. You know, just her routine is, is you know, yeah. coffee shop at 11, you know, that kind of thing. It's, it's yeah. not that one routine is any more right than the other. But I think in the, in the spirit of boundary setting and, you know, routines as a way to facilitate that boundary setting, you know, I think it's really critical. I think routines are critical if you've got kids. You know, if you don't have kids, it's a lot easier to not really be that routine because you could say, oh, you know, if a client calls you from the US and says, because obviously I'm in South Africa, you're in the US, it's your morning, it's my evening. So a lot of my work is international. So if a client, a US client says, look, 
can we do a call at 8 PM my time? You know, it's their time and that's the only time they can do it, especially if they're on the West coast and you're like, uh, okay. (laughs) You know, that's, you have to do that. And if you don't have kids, it's easy to do that. But if you have kids, you're like, Oh, well that's bedtime. So actually can't do it that time. Sorry. No, it's true. That's a great distinction because, you know, I mean, between Allie and I, like I have kids, Allie doesn't. And so Allie, of course, has a little more flexibility to roam about and do these things. I have kids in school. I mean, don't get me wrong. I would love to go around to, you know, flit around Europe or whatever. But, you know, the fact of the matter is my kids need some stability. And so, and that sort of, you know, hinders me. So while I'm a remote worker, I don't have the luxury of sort of jumping around from place to place as often as I once. Mm. Yep. 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 So Ryan, I'm just conscious of time. You uh, obviously know what you're talking about when it comes to remote teams. Let's think about the listeners now. Somebody who is has a company and is going through this COVID-19 situation and is thinking about this remote working thing and implementing it in their company or for their company. What are the top tips, let's say top four tips that you can impart or leave this particular person? Yeah, the biggest one I have, because obviously there's a lot of, you know, tactical bits that, that won't apply to everybody, but I can really give you one that I think is, is the most important part. And it's this word that I, I throw around a lot, but it's this idea of intention. So one of the things, as you mentioned earlier, you'd, you'd been on our podcast, uh, which is our, our remote work show. But in addition to our remote work show, we're doing a mental health series right now where we're talking to a lot of doctors and therapists and counselors. And one of the things that's come up in our conversation is this real distinction. And I, I think a lot of you know, remote work advocates have called this out as well. But one of the things that's really borne out in these conversations is this idea that you know, the difference between a remote worker who is remote worker by choice versus somebody who's worked from home. And so, you know, or has been forced into work from home by COVID, for example. Yeah. So, and the way that I'm seeing it or the way that it's, you know, it's sort of coming out for me is that the remote worker who's doing so by choice, even if they've just gotten into it or have maybe just, you know, are one of these people we call switchers, these people who have just gone from a, or are working to go from a co-located office into a remote work situation, you know, they're doing the research, they're learning the skills, they're, they're prepping themselves to find work as a remote worker, these kinds of things. And, and, you know, you can't throw a rock without hitting an article about isolation or depression or anxiety, right? Because these are things that come up all the time for remote workers. So what I think happens, and maybe I'm wrong, you know, I'm not exactly a scientist, but the thing that I'm observing is that people who've already sort of done that work or people who already have some tenure in remote work and have already experienced some of these downsides are somewhat fortified for those things, right? They understand it's coming. So when they start feeling a certain way, they have some context for it. What I fear is happening for the people who have been forced into remote work is a couple fold, but I think part of it is a lot of them still sort of have a toe in the office, right? They didn't really want to go remote. They're remote because they have to be, but ultimately in their mind, they're going, okay, we're going to return to office at some point. Like, I haven't fully committed to remote because this is temporary. This is something that's going to go on right now. And then I'm going back to work. And so, but I think because of that, they're starting to, you know, I mean, now we're four or five months into this thing. Now people are starting to experience these feelings, you know, these emotions, these, you know, negative thoughts, you know, all this stuff, but there's no real context for what that is, right? So now it's starting to manifest itself as depression or anger or any number of, you know, sort of negative emotions, but it's not understood that this is sort of par for the course, right? It's like, oh my God, what's happening? And so I think, you know, as I would sort of talk to, you know, business leaders, managers, people like this who are trying to help their people out right now, 
I would say so much about being successful and making this transition to work from home, even if ultimately it is temporary, is take your toe out of the office for a minute and be intentional about remote work. And at least understand that this is the, the, the world that we live in. And ultimately, even if you do go back to the office and, and maybe you do somewhat, you know, get sort of a somewhat normal, you know, or pre-COVID sort of situation back at work where you can go back to the office and largely most of your employees have returned back to the office, whatever, the skills or the policies or the things that you sort of have implemented for remote working during this period will become the flexible work policies of your future office staff. Those will be the things that when so-and-so has a baby and wants to work from home yeah. or when so-and-so wants to work remotely because they're going out of town, but they still want to keep, keep up their job performance. You know, like, I mean, these will be the things that will just be part of your sort of future policy. And ultimately, you know, if you want to be competitive, I mean, most, most companies are starting to come up with these solutions. But so back to this singular idea, this one idea of intention, I think so much of it is about making sure that you're doing this for the right reasons and focusing in on... I guess this recognition or this understanding that remote work is a thing that is sort of going to be here to stay. And, and I think that there's some confusion among the, the way that remote work advocates are sort of spoken of or sort of thought of where there's this idea out there that a remote work advocate is really advocating for remote work all the time. And, you know, that the future of work will just be this world where we all work remotely from wherever. But yeah. I think most remote, remote work advocates are actually, what they're actually trying to say or what they're really angling for is, is choice or flexibility in the work that you're doing. And it's mm -hmm. this idea that you can work from however, you, you know, in whatever way best suits you so that you can sort of bring out the best you at the office, right? Mm -hmm. So for some people, that will be in the office. For some people, it will be on their sofa. And, you know, you as an employer need to, I guess, sort of allow for that flexibility. So I would say sort of now in this, this time during COVID especially, take this opportunity to be truly intentional and use this time to lay good work, you know, good foundational work in and around these ideas of flexible practices and, you know, be able to take that back to the office, assuming you get back to the office. But for the companies who still are just keeping their toe in the office and who are just sort of hoping that this whole thing will go away and we'll just go back to the office, I think you're, you're naive and you're missing, missing an opportunity to really, you know, expand the offering that you can give to your employees and, and the care that you can take of those people who do need some flexible arrangements in their life. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very good point. It's a very good point. Thanks for sharing. So Ryan, if somebody wants to get hold of you, somebody wants to work with you, how do they get hold of you? Yeah. The most direct route is uh, teammateapart.com. It's a uh, sound just like it's spelled or spelled just like it sounds. So teammateapart.com. Also, you can find me on LinkedIn. There are very few Ryan Rogars out there. There are a couple, but I come right up. I'm pretty easy to find. It's just uh, Ryan Rogar, R-O-G-H-A-A-R on LinkedIn. And uh, you can email me directly at just ryan at teammateapart.com. Cool. Well, thanks very much for being on the show. Thanks for being such a gracious guest and sharing your, your pearls of wisdom with, regard to, with regards to remote working. Thanks very much. Yeah, absolutely, Alistair. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate you. No worries. Cheers. Thanks for listening. For more episodes, please listen on any one of your favorite podcasting channels like iTunes, Spotify, or Anchor.fm. If you would like to be interviewed or need more information, please email me at alistair at jabber.io. That's A-L-I-S-T-A-I-R at J-A-B-B-A dot I-O. Cheers. Mm -hmm.